today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, uh, let's talk election. The Liberal platform now on the tables, uh, are now on the table. Uh, and tonight, a French language debate. All will be there. Uh, the Green Party's anime Paul, or enemy Paul, will not be there. Let's bring in, pre, uh, uh, tonight rather, let's bring in Peter Wilsoncroft, retired professor of political science, and is with us now. Peter, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Uh, you, uh, best wishes to you, and yes, I'm up and around and uh, more or less happy. Your thoughts on where we are, uh, I guess, at about halfway through this election and halfway. what we're seeing in the polls? Uh, well, I mean, everything I have read uh, is that almost all the polls uh, point to a slightly widening lead for the Conservatives. I think the thing that is most important uh, from the Conservative point of view is that in each of the regions of the country, they are making gains. So Atlantic Canada, Quebec, Ontario, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, uh, prairies, as they call them, uh, Alberta, B.C., even the north. So it's not just that they're doing well in a traditional heartland. They're, they're doing well across the country, and that is causing a big problem for the Liberals because uh, they're falling across the country. Uh, it's interesting. I was watching a uh, a commercial yesterday uh, for the Liberals, and the, they actually said uh, when they were referring to Aaron O'Toole, uh, unvaccinated candidates are knocking on your door, uh, which I thought was was quite astounding, considering he called an election during a global pandemic and is talking about unvaccinated candidates knocking on the door. The, it really appears that the Prime Minister is looking for a fight. He's looking for a wedge issue. Uh, he seemed to gain ground when he had lots of people yelling at him uh, at, uh, dem- at uh, uh, during protests at rallies uh, last week and such. Is he finding a wedge issue here that's grabbing the attention of Canadians? Well, I, I do think uh, more broadly COVID-19 is out there as an issue. Uh, people are very concerned about the next wave, the next variant, and it pivots on, on the vaccination question, uh, certainly. And, and most Canadians um, believe in vaccines. They also believe that all people should be vaccinated unless they have very strong reasons not to be, because it's a matter of personal security there's that it's also and this is this is clear around the world that the the tremendous stress on hospitals is primarily because of covid-19 and unvaccinated people so hospital systems are being developed uh, to handle a certain number of cases uh, each day week month year and then suddenly we have a surge of cases and the cases, for the most part, could have been prevented. So it's it's a really ugly scene when people who have not done what's not that difficult uh, show up with COVID nineteen, and or are they are they are they trying uh, uh, some horse deworming medicine? <laughs> I had to uh, throw that in there. I know we're encouraging everybody to get fully vaccinated. By the way, um, you know it's it, it, on the issue of vaccine passports, which is obviously a heated issue in Ontario. Uh, right now, yep. uh, many are saying, uh, you know, we had the Canadian Medical Association on earlier this week and, and Dr. Bogosh uh, also echoed this, that it should be a federal system and not a patchwork of provincial systems. Um, it, it, does the election interfere with the government's ability to 
to uh, to present a federal passport at this time. Uh, the, the premier well, was saying we're in an election, so now the feds can't do it uh, when, in fact, that's what's needed. Is that a valid point? Or, or... No, it's not. And I, they're playing a strange game because uh, where is Dr. Tam? Uh, the liberals made a big deal about Stephen Harper uh, muzzling scientists. Well, she's been muzzled. Yeah. He was on every day for a long period, as you know, a year and 15 months or whatever it was. And uh, and then suddenly during the election campaign, she's gone fishing. And and my explanation for it, and it's just my my guess, I admit to that, I have no evidence, that, is that they didn't want her saying things which caused problems for the Liberal government. It would be a great idea if we had a national program of, of um, vaccination passports, but I can guarantee you that Quebec, for example, would not accept that, uh, and that's always a dynamic that's unavoidable in Canada. And and some of the other provinces not might not be too happy. They're happy to take the dollars. They're always happy to take the dollars, but they're you know you and I are all the same. We're happy to get free money and go have a nice dinner kind of thing. So they, Trudeau's promised a billion dollars, uh, but he that's just to go to the provinces and they'll do what they want. But I mean I th- I think it's clear that. Generally, and there's a lot of awkward questions uh, rightly asked about the passport, but it's clear that that if we don't act, then this is going to get worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And and so the message is, folks, you might not like it, but you got to get vaccinated. Uh, that's how we got rid of smallpox. That's uh, how we got rid of a lot of other diseases. I just was reading some stuff this morning. It says it's been untested. Well, excuse me. We've been testing vaccines for a long time, yeah. and these virus vaccines have been tested a long, long time. We have a pretty good idea. Like the scientists have a pretty good idea. We have to deal with the variants that causes problems, but we have a track record. It's not, something, it's not as if something just uh, uh, arrived from Mars, and we don't know what to do about it. Uh, getting back to the election campaign, uh, it started off in the first two weeks. We were talking about the issue of mandatory vaccines, abortion, all of these things that don't seem to be real election issues. Uh, obviously, the polls are showing what they're showing and and what's continuing to resonate with Canadians, especially as we hear this modeling information, is they're not happy about having an election during a global pandemic. Uh, getting back to my initial question, does the prime minister have a wedge issue here to cause a fight that can can sort of change this trajectory for them? Well, I, I, I think there are other things going on, uh, and he may have a talking point. But you have to ask, ask the question, uh, so I'm coming on a big scale thing. The, one of the things that puzzled me for some time is that the Liberals were not doing better in the polls, but then sort of 37% or something like that. Uh, and then when the once election was called, they started to drift down. So there is a there is a lot of unhappiness, a lot of antipathy to uh, Justin Trudeau and the Liberal government, which is not going to be def- easily deflected uh, by a wedge issue. Now, uh, Aaron O'Toole, uh, to be more precise, is a happy guy because he doesn't have to deal with Max Bernier. Uh, in tonight's debate or the debates next week, mm. it is a bit of, it is a bit strange that that uh, that he's not on the debate stage tonight, given that he's a Quebec politician leading a national party and he's running in a Quebec riding, and uh, so that he's excluded. But Aaron O'Toole is happy because he didn't have to have a fight with Bernier all over the vaccination thing tonight. Most of the leaders. With, they'll have some differences on vaccinations, but they're going to be basically in the same position. 
And the, the, the real question tonight is, we'll have our first signaling of what people think are, is the debate question, or the, the ballot question. What will people have in their heads when they go and vote on the 20th? But how will each of the leaders address the question of Quebec identity in Quebec language? I mean, that's what it revolves around. We call it the French language debate, but it's really a Quebec debate. Uh, there's very little attention given to the French language situation outside of Quebec. And so when I'm watching it tonight, I'm going to be seeing how aggressive uh, Blanchett is on the French language question. And he has a talking point, and he, he singled something when, when the election was called. It was as simple as this. He said, our new governor general is a very interesting person, but she doesn't speak French. So he's falling in the polls. Uh, they're headed for about 25 seats or so. That's a loss of seven from the last election. That's not good. He's got some issues with environmentalists. We're unhappy with some of the positions that he's taken. And he needs some rallying call. So he needs a wedge, wedge issue. To go back to your point, he's the one who's looking for a wedge issue because he's been to, uh, the conservatives are about 20% in Quebec. That gives them 15 seats. Uh, those are seats from the bloc or the liberals. Uh, um, that's one of the big the big wedge issue this week. Will it be next week? I don't know uh, when we get to the other two debates. But tonight it will be uh, Blanchett trying to uh, undercut the conservatives on on uh, the language issue and the liberals on the language issue and more broadly the national identity French language survival issue in Quebec. And he and he knows because they poll extensively that he knows that he's not doing well. So how significant is this debate to the rest of Canada, considering it's obviously Quebec-centric? What will the rest of Canada learn from this? Well, uh, what they will learn is, first of all, that the debate will will be important to Quebecers and, and that debates matter in Quebec more than perhaps is the case in the rest of Canada. And and there will be a, uh, within a few days, certainly by the middle of next week, in the polls, a clear winner and loser. And in our first pass the poll system, if you start going up or down two or three percentage points, then you're either winning or losing a lot of seats. And 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 for the liberals, the big existentialist question is: Will they be able to grow in Quebec? It's going to be very difficult for them, but they need to do well in Quebec because they're going to be losing seats, perhaps surprisingly, in Atlantic Canada and, and indeed across the rest of Canada, and most notably in British Columbia. They need to win seats in Quebec, and yet they're going to have uh, a vociferous and vehement attacks coming from the NDP, from the Bloc, and from the Conservatives. They're going to, it's going to be unrelenting. And how, how resilient is Trudeau? So he has to shine, and that's the overall question for the rest of Canada. Is Trudeau able to shine when he is going to be in these one-to-one debates that they do in their format uh, for two hours? And and uh, will he be able to repel the this very aggressive attacks that will be there? He may get some sympathy because he'll look like he's picked on, but he will have to convince people that he has the strength, uh, the mind, the resort, intellectual resources to repel these attackers and that he can uh, project a strong vision for Canada. So that's what the rest of us will be taking away from this. 
So um, you talked about Trudeau and Blanchet. What about what about the NDP and the Conservatives? What can we expect from them during a French language debate? Well, uh, uh, Aaron O'Toole will say, "I'm not your your grandfather's old Conservative Party, and I'm a modern guy, and I'm pro-choice. I'm sympathetic to Quebec. He has Quebec roots. He speaks French." Uh, better than most, and certainly is easy in his in his and when he's speaking French. Uh, so that and he and he will say that I I have Quebec in my heart or something of that kind. Uh, Singh has a bigger problem because he took a big loss of seats. He's not Jack Layton, uh, and they have one seat in 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 Quebec. Uh, the bloc desperately wants that seat, and there's another seat that they think they, the NDP thinks they can win. But he he has to he actually has to show, uh, perhaps in the same way that I was saying, Trudeau has to show that he is a na- uh, that he's saying is a national leader, and he can speak to the different parts of the country convincingly uh, and persuasively. And in a, in a in a very ironic sense, given Jack Layton. Uh, Jack Mason is a bit of a minor player in in the big game that's going on between the Bloc and the Conservatives and the Liberals tonight. Uh, away from the election, or sorry, the debate and in, in, into the general election campaign, what does the Prime Minister need to do to pull this out? What does he need to do to change uh, the momentum? Uh, obviously, uh, they introduced their platform. It didn't seem to move the needle much. Uh, if anything, we're seeing the Conservatives take a slight lead today. What does he have to do to, to change direction here? Well, you know, he, he, he talks a good aspirational line. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know, at least to me, he, he, I, don't, I don't know, I don't think he persuades people that he has learned a lot so he's very good as a presenter, but is he good as a decider and setting priorities? So, and and for many people, uh, the die is cast. They don't like Trudeau, uh, um, but there are people who are amenable. And most, and you know, the, the Liberals are the strongest party in the country, just in terms of how people identify with parties. So, he's got that to call upon. Uh, but I think he has to persuade people that. Uh, so this is the conservative, not to say partisan, but a conservative side of me. He has to, uh, I think, convince people that spending money is not the only solution to the problems we have. So if you mm. look, and all the parties are answerable to this, I mean, it is an ATM election. Yeah. What do I mean by that is that there's cash going out uh, across the land. I mean, and, and, and is anybody really looking at the financial well-being of the country five or ten years from now. So I think, to me, uh, Trudeau should, needs to, to say that I have matured as a leader. I've made mistakes. It's difficult to do that. Um, but he has to say that I have, I'm a seasoned leader. I understand the country. I, I understand people's ambitions and aspirations. I also uh, can speak to, to the reality of politics. And it's just not a matter of good wishes. And that's an excellent cause. So here's a billion dollars or two billion dollars. If you go and tot it up, and, and all the parties are guilty of this, it's it's an accountant's nightmare because I don't know yeah. where all these billions of dollars are coming from. Well, I do know it's coming from my grandkids. Yeah, good point. Uh, I remember during the first election campaign for the prime minister. 
Uh, I remember Harper's campaign uh, slogan was something like, uh, you know, or his attack on Trudeau was he's not ready, he's yep. not, you know, he's not capable of doing the job. Uh, then came in in a massive wave of, of popularity and such. Are we starting to see that again? That uh, you, you know, and, and I, I, you know, I'm trying to think of a political science professor that has said that he is a great leader and 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 something other than a lightweight and vacuous. Because I have had that from political science professors. Well, is yeah. that is that starting to come to ring true again? That you know, the flash and the 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 sunny ways have gone, and and now it's push comes to shove, and and we have to see what this person can do. Well, I'm going to quote myself. Uh, so when I say negative things and positive things about every leader, and I have a lot of respect for people who do the kind of things they have to do, but Trudeau's biggest problem for me is that he's seductive as spring ice. So Canadians understand that in the springtime, <laughs> you, you, stay away from, you stay away from the ice because it looks like yeah. you go skating, but actually you're going to go swimming. Not fun. And so as a promiser, he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. As a deliverer, not so good. In fact, uh, conservatives have been making the point that he's promised all these things about infrastructure, but he hasn't delivered. And so um, <laughs> when it comes to wrapping things up in shiny paper with lovely ribbons and baubles and so on, there's nobody better than Trudeau. But the question is, with, with his years in office and the things that he's promised, what has he really delivered? And I mean, how does he how does he come uh, come to us as a seasoned person, a matured person who understands the the difficulty of addressing the many problems? And I have a list in front of me of things that that, uh, that are confronting us: climate change, uh, uh, COVID nineteen, re- economic recovery, all, all kinds of things. We have a lot of compelling issues before us, uh, and. And Trudeau's mantra is, we know, we know, we know, and then we have a long list of promises. But, uh, you know, to use a cliche, where's, where's, the, uh, where's the rubber meeting the road and what exactly are you doing? Hmm. Uh, so, and, 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 you know, when, when Trudeau says, well, I'm not concerned, I'm concerned, I'm not concerned about monetary policy, I'm concerned about families. That's when uh, knowledgeable people go bananas, because <laughs> excuse me, a monetary policy has a lot to do with the cost of living and interest rates and so on, and you just can't dismiss it and say, "Oh, I'm just concerned about families." You 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 have to be thinking in broader, deeper terms. You said some people have used the term "vacuous." I've I've heard that for a long time, and yeah, like he's skating on on uh, often you get the sense he's skating on very thin spring ice. Peter Wollstonecroft with us, retired professor of political science, expertise in Canadian elections. Peter, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you so much. You too. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. For the past three months, along with Canada's other premiers, I've called on the federal government to develop a national vaccine passport. We've seen this national leadership in countries around the world who have implemented their own national vaccine certificate programs. Because it's clear that a national system is far better than a patchwork of certificates across every single province and territory in in the country.
That is the Premier speaking yesterday about a vaccine passport, vaccine certificate that is coming to Ontario September 22nd. And, uh, you know, it's odd because what seemed to be a slam dunk, everybody wanted this, everybody wanted this. And, and now, you know, we're seeing as the rubber hits the road how difficult it actually is to, to implement such a, uh, such a mandatory passport, which we know. And, and, you know, we hear all of the political parties talk about this and they're all using different routes to get to basically the same place. And, you know, at the end of the day, and I'm fully vaccinated, I encourage everybody to get fully vaccinated. Please go out and do it now. Um, but at the end of the day, vaccine is mandatory in Canada, but there's always exceptions. And those exceptions are for religious region, reasons, human rights reasons, doctor, uh, medical reasons, documentation. And you have to go through a, uh, education process and, and, uh, obviously increase testing if you opt out of vaccination. And that's pretty much the rules all the way across the board because that's the charter. Uh, so, you, you know, we're, and again, as the premier said, a, a federal system that's one that goes across, uh, the country, which is what most nations are doing, um, is the way to go. However, that's not happening because we're in an election and the government can't do this while we're in an election. So, uh, we have what we have and the problem should be solved, right? It's all done and over with. Maybe not. Julie Kwasinski is joining us, Canadian Federation of Independent Business, Director of Provincial Affairs for Ontario, and with us now. Julie, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I'm doing well, and how are you doing, Scott? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks, Julie. We're heading into a long weekend. Are you ready for it? I think so. But you know (laughs) what? When you work from home, um, time means nothing. Yeah, that's so true. Maybe we should go to work for the long weekend just for fun. Oh, I'll probably be working. There you go. All right, Julie, what are you hearing from your members in regard to the Ontario Vaccine Certificate Program? Sure, Scott. couple points I need to make here. First and foremost, we actually surveyed our small business owners, members across Canada, on various vaccination scenarios. Small business owners are divided on the contentious issue of vaccination credentials for entry into businesses. So I wanted to make that point clear. And the problem is it's an extremely polarizing issue. So as a small business owner, if you believe in it, you strongly, passionately believe in it. But if you're opposed to it, you are equally strongly, passionately opposed. So that's why you haven't heard about CFIB being out there joining other business groups, being supportive or being against it, because we don't have the mandate to oppose it or support it. And I really wanted to get that point out there because it's important for anybody who's a member of CFIB to make sure that their director of provincial affairs is correctly identifying their beliefs because we're a very grassroots, one person, one vote organization, and we get our cues from our membership. So now on the issues coming forward that we're hearing from our members, Scott, I have quite a laundry list here. So if you don't mind, can I go through it? Yeah, go for it. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for letting me. So first and foremost, we want to point out there's a lot of disgruntlement amongst our memberships about the fact that the government added these additional requirements without first removing the remaining capacity restrictions. So businesses like gyms, Dance and yoga studios, concert halls, event spaces, wedding venues, and bowling alleys 
remain at 50% capacity. Yeah, we're still in step three, correct? Yeah. So you're asking a business to try to survive by cutting it in half, essentially. And then you're telling these business owners that on top of that, on top of not letting you get to 100% or not even providing a plan for 100%, we're going to make you do these other things. So we're telling the government, okay, if this is the route you're going to take, then fund these businesses because they're having trouble surviving, they're hanging on by a thread, and at the same time, tell us when and how. Are there any metrics? What's going on here? What can they do to get back to the 100%? That's a good point. Hmm. That's number one. Now, there's a whole laundry list, and you wouldn't believe, and I always, you know, Scott, we tell government, we offer any government, we're not a political organization, we are totally apolitical. We always say to governments, if you have an idea and you want to test it past our businesses, let us know. And they never say yes, because we could have run some of these ideas past a group of maybe 10 small businesses, and they would have avoided some of the pitfalls. Let now, me ask you this, so let me ask you this, let me ask you this, so Julie, like sure. right now the Canadian Federation of Independent Business is split on this. Yes. So again, what's to say once they ask those recommendations and get them, you're not going to get the same thing. You're going to be split either way. Well, we've been asking for a stay open plan, a stay open plan that lets businesses stay open. And there are other ways to achieve that, other means in the toolbox that are available, whether it's rapid testing, as an example. But we, and even in our surveys, we asked our members about different scenarios for this, and they were a lot more supportive of vaccine credentials for international travel or for large events. But... Very, very, and the splits start when you ask them whether or not they would do it mandatorily for their employees or if they support it for entry into their businesses. So right now, we are faced with a model for vaccine credentials. The train has left the station. So now what we have to do as an organization is we have to monitor this and see how it works and listen to our members and what they're telling us. So, for example, what we're hearing is, just as a few examples, how are businesses supposed to recognize out-of-province and out-of-country vaccinations? Is there ironclad protection for businesses against potential human rights challenges and costly lawsuits? We've already been told by government, this is an important one, Scott, that businesses who choose to do this voluntarily, who aren't on the list of businesses that have to do it, should consult their lawyers. That, that when somebody tells you to consult your lawyer, you know that it's not ironclad. We're hearing uh, some interesting... Well, there's nothing, there's nothing ironclad about the vaccine mandatory thing because it's, it's a charter issue. And I, again, I think all this does is just kick it down the road to somebody else. But let me ask you this. You know, b- before this announcement yesterday, all we heard was it was the overwhelming majority who wanted this. Um, so does this help or hurt the well, Canadian Federation of Independent Business Members? The issue with 
with the overwhelming majority. I will never question a CFIB survey because those are our members expressing their views. But those are business owners as opposed to the general population. The general population is supporting uh, this sort of move. I don't work for the general population. My job is to fight for small business. And Mm -hmm. if I don't do it properly, I should be fired. So So did this hurt or help, Julie? forward the views of CFIB's membership as based on a recent survey. So does this help or hurt uh, this vaccine passport announcement? Well, it will help some and hurt others because there are a lot of issues unresolved. Will training be provided? For example, on what employees can accept as, as proof of vaccination, on medical exemptions, on dealing with tough customers, kind of like SmartServe. People in the restaurant industry, they're telling us that they're going to have to hire another person to be a bouncer, and they're already experiencing labor issues. They've also told us in the restaurant industry that waiting lines might result. And here's an interesting one. So you don't need to check, Scott, for credentials on people dining outdoors. What if a person that didn't have their credentials checked has to use the washroom indoors? Do you need more bouncers for all the doors (laughs) leading into the establishments from the outside? We don't know clearly what the medical exemptions are. We only know of two so far, allergies to the components of the vaccines and and also was pointed out any potential heart issues. That's all uh, are, there, are there members that want this, and what do they have to say? Well, the members that want it want to know how they can go about doing it. And herein lies the problem. If you are not on that list of people who have to do it, you want to do this voluntarily as a retailer. We cannot advocate for you to do this because government has already told us in a phone call yesterday that businesses like that should consult their lawyer. They are on extremely vulnerable ground. And remember, Scott, we're talking about little businesses here. 90% of our members have under 20 employees. We're not talking about giant corporations here with armies of lawyers, human rights specialists, and and compliance specialists, and HR people. So small businesses could be placing themselves in very vulnerable positions. None of this stuff has been tested in courts vis-a-vis how any of these rights apply under a situation such as COVID. So it is our job. We can't, in our good conscience, tell a member to go and do whatever they want when lawyers are telling us they need to tread carefully, consult with legal people before you proceed with this, especially if you're doing it voluntarily. Julie, uh, when I listen to uh, the concerns of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, uh, the first, I'm just shaking my head. It, it sounds like this is a mess. Well, I mean, we have to monitor this. I didn't even get through the list of all the things, and we haven't seen the regulations. The regulations, have kind of it's kind of like all of the little details, yeah. and we're going to check and see to make sure that nothing is missing. But, I mean, right now you're looking at businesses, Scott, like gyms. They're hanging on by a thread. And we even had a business owners reached out and they asked if they can use their personal iPhone. These are small businesses. They may not have anything but a personal iPhone or an iPad. Government should be providing with them with the equipment to do this. 
government said they would stand beside small businesses and do everything they could every step of the way. So if you're going to proceed with this and you've made a decision, then make sure you communicate everything. And the other thing is, too, if you, let's say you get an unruly customer, that business owner is basically the frontline soldier for an Ontario government decision. It's interesting you should say that, Julie, because I remember talking to people about the vaccine passports in the last couple of weeks, and some had said, well, this makes it easier because, you know, all you have to do is if you don't get a card or if you don't show the card, you don't get in. And this was supposed to help everything. Well, I mean, we'll see how it works, but we're already hearing with with some problems uh, with, with the Quebec plan that started on September 1st, things about how uh, the one issue we heard is that if you take the piece of paper with the QR code on it, some people had trouble with that being scanned. So you've got the technology issues. Um, the government says they're going to be ready to go with the technology side of this October 22nd. But we're, we're concerned, Scott, and we've got to fight for these small businesses. They're hanging on by a thread. You're asking a gym at 50% capacity, a wedding venue at 50% capacity to do this, and you, you're silent, crickets, on how and when they're going to be able to get back to a 100%. And guess what? The average COVID debt for a small business in Ontario is over 190000 and that's greater than the national average, which is about 170000 And they've wiped out their personal savings. So I think businesses need some help here, and that comes in the form of education, clarity, more funding, and even funding for other businesses. We don't have any provincial grants right now in Ontario. That's it. They're done. And we get calls every day. I've been dealing with calls. I have a chart on this since April 19th, calls about the Ontario Small Business Support Grant. At least 5 to 20 calls a day as you and I sit and and talk here today. Julie, I'm going to have to cut you off there. We're just simply out of time. Julie Kwasinski with his Canadian Federation of Independent Business, Director of Provincial Affairs for Ontario. And their members split on whether a vaccine passport is a good idea or not, especially at the provincial level. And, uh, you know, it seems that there's many questions and as many uh, debates and as much uh, divisiveness as there was uh, this time yesterday. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Kerry Bowman, a bioethicist with the University of Toronto and is with us now doctor thank you for the time i hope you're doing well yes happy to do so no problem uh doctor first of all your thoughts about some of the modeling that we've seen come out of ontario in the last 24 hours or so what are your thoughts how concerned are you yeah so you know the modeling now remembering i'm not an epidemiologist but the the modeling is is obviously worrisome um but you know the tricky thing with modeling is it's not great at accounting for human behavior um, they're really mathematical equations. And, you know, we all know that human complexities are are much, much tougher to predict. And so I don't suggest that the data is going to be stronger or weaker. I don't know. I truly don't know. But but let's hope, you know, if you've noticed the worst case scenario, let's hope we're a long way from that. And And let's also hope that even if the numbers are high, the illness is not extensive in individual people. But we'll see.
Uh, vaccine passports, your thoughts on um, many, uh, I think the majority of Canadians are looking for this. There's obviously lots of debate of whether there should be just one system across the, the federal government as opposed to a patchwork of provincial systems. Um, but this was supposed to solve a lot of issues. Today, it, it seems, I just got off the, the phone with the Canadian Independent Canadian Federation of Independent Business, and they're split on all of this. Uh, your thoughts on, on a passport and making this all work and getting more vaccinated? Ah. I'm a little split on all this, too. Um, look, I, I hope, it, you know, will, is it ethically justifiable? So I'm an ethicist. And the answer to that is I, I truly don't know. And we won't know for a long time. And we may never know. But but assuming that this is really going to be a useful tool in, in this battle, uh, you know, against this pandemic, maybe it's justified. It's not easy to do. So I'm hesitant to be incredibly critical of our government. But, you know, all these things are are real. You know, the fact that, you know, you go to a restaurant and you may be in there with other vaccinated people, but the server may not be vaccinated. Right. So Mm. there's that. Uh, You know, you go to a haircut, you can go to a haircut without a vaccine passport, but you couldn't, you know, uh, go for a coffee indoors. So, you know, the, the problem with all of these sort of inconsistencies is that it really may erode public trust in the system to a large extent. Um, I, you know, we're in unprecedented times. It may also be very difficult to roll out. And I wonder how these restaurants with these staff that have already been through hell and back in terms of unemployment and all the things they're going through are going to have to deal with many difficult and angry customers that are very upset about this. Um, So, you know, we're going to see. I hope it's going to work. I hope it's going to be an improvement, but I don't know. A lot of people were hoping this was kind of a silver bullet. Do you think it will be? No, absolutely not. Uh, Sorry to be so negative, but look, you know, I agree 100 percent. Yeah, it really is. It's a tool in a very difficult battle and hopefully a good one. But, you know, this is not a firewall. Like if you're tucked away in a restaurant and you've shown your vaccine certificates, etc., it does not mean there's no chance of infection within that environment at all. It does mean there's likely a significantly reduced chance. But this this is not going to turn the tide. And I'll tell you what worries me the most, and it's a long way from what we talk about, the greatest threat to all of us as Canadians is the global pandemic. You know, the, the variants are just lining up waiting to come at us. And we collectively, nationally, are doing next to nothing about the global situation. And that's where the real threat is. It's not in all these ins and outs of vaccine passports and vaccine wars. Dr. Kerry Bowman with us, bioethicist with the University of Toronto, talking about vaccine passports and the ethics around all of this. Uh, And I don't think the debate is over yet. Uh, Doctor, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. You as well. Take care. Best wishes. The Scott Thompson Show. Weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.